This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Ladies and gentlemen, it is now time. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. I finished these fights. Give me a hell yeah. Top Rope Nation. Learn to love it. It's the best thing going today. Coming off what I thought was a tremendous effort from the WWE on pay-per-view this week, WWE Money in the Bank. This is episode 61 of the Top Rope Nation Wrestling Podcast. I am Ryan Drosty of popculture.com. We're going to be here for the next hour or so talking WWE Money in the Bank, maybe a little bit about uh, NXT TakeOver Chicago. Uh, we haven't done one of these post shows uh, immediately after our broadcast since I went back and looked March 2017. So it's been a while. Uh, but here we are. It's a Sunday night. It's late. I know my co-hosts are uh, running on some fumes right now. Maybe helped out a little bit from uh, some craft beer. We'll have to talk about that. Joining me on the line across town, my man, Justin Joint. Justin, what did you think about Money in the Bank this evening? I thought it was excellent. I thought it was one of the best top to bottom uh, main roster shows in a long time. I I, I said pre show that there was a lull in the middle, but uh, yeah, top to bottom, this this was excellent, fully entertaining, especially considering it was four hours. Oh yeah, I was uh, I was a little hesitant going in. I wasn't a fan of starting an hour earlier, especially on Father's Day. You know, it was kind of a rush to. Uh, have a nice dinner and get ready for the show, but uh, I think they rewarded us. It was a good show. Let's head out to that hotline out there in Cleveland, Ohio. Let's get Kyle Ross on the line. Kyle, how you doing tonight? Good. I don't know what you're talking about. I couldn't wait to tell my family to leave so I could watch Money in the Bank. <laughs> I, I'm not surprised. I knew something. <laughs> no, was I'm kidding. I, I love my family. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, they're a great group of people. <laughs> did, did your wife watch the show with you tonight? Um, she did her usual watch, uh, the first half and then just say, I'm going to bed, which was not indicative of her opinion. I think she was kind of, she was sort of, you know, would just make the occasional comments and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, I, I'm with Justin and, uh, you too. I, I thought this was the best main roster show and not just this year, but probably for all of last year too. I, I was, and it was trending that way pretty early. Like I really liked, um, first hour so of the uh, of the show three of the first four matches i thought were great and i'm like man what was the last main roster show you know that what was the best main roster show last two years and i'm kind of drawing a blank i may have to go back and look to see the last time i enjoyed one this much yeah i might have to pull up our archives and uh, look at some of our pay-per-view reviews because i i can't remember either i thought top to bottom i kind of agree with justin it was a little slower in the middle, but overall, um, really good, really good show. I've got some 
some thoughts well, on some of these matches I want to get so, to. So, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about them individually. But you know what really helped this card? And I saw somebody bring it up on Twitter like a week or so ago. And it actually really changed my entire perception of the show going in. They did a good job spreading out a lot of the big stars throughout the card. Like, there wasn't really a match where they – that was a throwaway on this at all. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, say what you will about some of the opponents and, you know, maybe some of the guys as well. But, you know, they had Daniel Bryan in a singles match, Roman in a singles match, um, Seth Rollins, who's been as hot as anybody this year in a, in a separate singles match. You know, and that's in addition to Ronda Rousey, who's your biggest attract, mainstream attraction, and the two Money in the Bank matches. Mm-hmm. So right there, I mean, you've got a lot of intrigue up and down a card right there. Yeah. So, so in that regard, um, it was some good matchmaking, I think. And you sent out Daniel Bryan in the opening match, which was, you know, got the, the crowd hot early. Not that they need help in Chicago. That crowd's always on fire. But uh, I think the uh, crowd had some bad takes tonight, though. <laughs> We're going to have to get to that. But. Uh, yes. The, the There was, well, one guy who's taking credit for it. It's a real mob. Oh, man. It, it was... It, I'm glad it did not derail the show because there was about 10 minutes or so after the Roman gender match where I was like, fuck, you know, is this like WrestleMania all over again where, you know, the first half is great and then we just kind of go off the rails and, you know, we end up just with a bad taste in our mouth. Yeah. But it it didn't turn out that way. So kudos uh, to WWE. Yeah. Well, I got to thank you guys for staying up late with me tonight to do this show because like I said in the opening, it's been a long time since we've done one of these post shows, but I was looking forward to it all day. It's okay. I, I did a bunch of cocaine, so I'm good. <laughs> 80s WWF style. Yes. <laughs> Inspired by by those uh, old episodes of primetime on the network. Yeah, or just those uh, localized interviews, man. Oh, boy, they were tooting some cane in those babies. <laughs> All right, so should we just get right down to it? Um, I guess we can kind of go through match by match, unless we have any more general thoughts. I did throw a, a poll up on our Twitter account, by the way. Uh, just kind of see what our uh, listeners thought of the show. And uh, that was not too long ago. I think I put it up about 10 minutes ago. So let me just check and see. I asked them to grade Money in the Bank. And we are 85 votes in. And we've got 21% listeners giving it an A, 41% a B. So that's that's, that's kind of surprising good. to me, though. Yeah, cause especially because it's so trendy to trash the WWE. Yeah, but that's, that's only 62% that would give it an A or B. And I... I don't see how you grade it below a B, personally. We got 26% at a C. And then since Twitter only gives you four options, uh, our combined DNF grade, 12%. Johnny New Japan's. Yeah, I'm not sure how you you grade this a D or an F. I thought it was a tremendous show. Yeah, that's real bad. And, you know, we'll get into this later. But as someone who went on this program three weeks ago or whatever it was and threw out the concept of, you know, me being kind of tired of the cliché of the money in the bank cash in. Mm-hmm. I like what they've done here with the two, how they've already gotten one. The, the, tr- the typical heel one is out of the way. So we don't have to do with that. And now what's left is a baby face, Ron Strowman, who is basically just going to demand a shot at an absentee champion, which is unique and won't be the normal money in the bank cash in situation. I think, you know, Braun Strowman is not going to run in, in a match and do a sneaky cash in. Yeah, th- no. this is going to be a Rob Van Dam style cash in. Oh, Good yeah. callback there. Yeah, I agree. Yep. 
All right, so before we get to this match by match, I got to throw it out there, guys. If you're listening on iTunes, subscribe. Hit that subscribe button. We've been gaining a lot of subscribers in recent weeks, so that has been good to see. Leave us a five-star rating. Check us out on topropenation.com. We're on Twitter, at topropenation. That is a new username, by the way. We used to be at topropepod, but we have changed. We've got the at topropenation username now. So that was cool. Actually, guys, I I petitioned Twitter uh, to get that username a while ago because it was dormant. Somebody had it, and they finally uh, signed it over to us. So we are now at topropenation on Twitter. And uh, I always mention... You only had to kill six people to do that, too. (laughs) And Kyle took their cocaine in the process. Yes, it was a (laughs) win-win. It's, uh, I was, I was going to say last week, I was talking about, uh, you know, the merch we got on topropenation.com and if there was a sale coming up. Um, I do know this coming week, I'll throw it out on Twitter, um, our store on Spreadshirt is going to have a 15% off sale on t-shirts. So that is coming. Check them out at topropenation.com. All right, guys, before we get to these matches, I have to crack open another brew here. What are you guys drinking tonight? Vodka water. WrestleMania special. Oh yeah, that's what you drank like all weekend in New Orleans, Justin. I like. Yeah, it. that's because that's because I I got a cold like two days before we left, and <laughs> today today I woke up with a cold. <laughs> God damn man, that sucks. That sucks. Hopefully, Money in the Bank cheered you up a little bit. Kyle, are you still are you still at it out there? Or are you are you just with the cocaine now? Uh, I'm actually, <laughs> believe it or not, I'm actually <laughs> drinking Coke right now because uh, Justin will like this. Uh, I have some. Uh, football stuff to tur- turn to, believe it or not, after this podcast. It's not going to be a late night for me working, um, you know, with these uh, games going off so early. got to make sure everything's all set up for uh, the World Cup. Oh, yeah. Nice. You got to talk about that big Mexico win. Yeah, I'm not happy about that. That was my first loss of the tournament. Picks. I was disgusted. Wow. No, nobody could have predicted that. No. For those who are not aware, uh, Kyle's other personality outside of the professional wrestling uh, commenting commentating business i should say is uh sports handicapping so yes get a hold of him on twitter at trp kyle he can give you some good advice i can don't make bets <laughs> all right i am cracking open um a beer that my buddy tim brought back from the black hills for me it is the knuckle runkle road ipa that sounds very south dakota there you go runkle road ipa so let's get this thing started let me crack this open and uh, let's talk about that first match. Good Daniel. work, Bruce. <laughs> yeah. Hold on. We got to talk about the pre-show first, and I'm not talking about the match. Okay. I did not see any of the pre-show, so I'm going to let okay. you take it. Same. Oh, you didn't? So you don't know what Booker T said? No. About CM no Punk? Oh, dear God. How, how are you guys even living in the year 2018? <laughs> I did not see this at all. You did Booker T, and I shit you not. First of all, there was... You know, one, it was like, I, I swear to God, one guy trying to start up a CM Punk chant. He, he came across as super annoying and he was booed down a couple times. So, you know, Booker gave the guy a dirty look once during the pre show, which was funny in its own right. But then, with like two minutes left in the pre show, they're talking Rousey Naya. And Booker, inex- this is why Booker's so great and should be back in the chair instead of that idiot coachman, just so worthless. But Booker goes, during the Naya uh, Ronda breakdown, you know, we saw that they're talking about Ronda's transition to wrestling. 
and then he he inexplicably brings up CM Punk trying to transition to UFC and goes, quote, that boy got the brakes beaten off him a few weeks ago. Mm. Mentioning CM Punk by name on a WWE pre-show. I thought it was absolutely tremendous. Wow. God, a lot has happened since our last episode, guys. We never got to talk about the CM Punk fight, for one. That was... Uh... Wasn't very good. <laughs> Did you watch that live? Yeah, well, it would I had be. no desire. I mean, I mean, it was enough. I mean, did you really think he was gonna? I mean, I, I, I think we were texting that night, and I was telling, I talked about how my interest in UFC has waned considerably. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that, that's kind of surprising. He called him out like that. Um, we didn't talk about the Corey Graves thing, obviously with CM Punk. Which, if uh, if you take Corey Graves' word for what happened there between those two, it makes CM Punk look like a really just not a nice person. I don't know how else to put it. Um, I don't know. Like, I, like it's kind of funny. Like, I have friends like that on Twitter and or uh, on social media who take things way too seriously and whatever. It's just, um, it doesn't make them look good and, um, punk and but but I don't know. I'm not going to get involved. It's a personal thing. Yeah, I don't know if yeah. anyone's right or wrong or otherwise in that. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's get right to it. So we, we have uh, we've got Daniel Bryan opening the show against Big Cass. Crowd goes crazy for Daniel Bryan, of course, in Chicago, they where he hot. won the Money in the Bank in 2011. Um, seven. That was crazy. I was thinking about that during the show. Seven years since that awesome Money in the Bank show. Where, <laughs> speaking of them, CM Punk beat John Cena in the main event, and Bryan won the won the Money in the Bank match. So, always a hot crowd for Daniel Bryan. Uh, what do you guys think of this match? I actually really, really liked it. Um, I, I'm a sucker for, you know, working a limb. My only complaint is that uh, Cass didn't sell the knee enough. There were just moments where, you know, he'd be bouncing around on it, you know, with the, the torture rack moment. But other than that, I, I, I thought it was a terrific, great, great opener. Mm-hmm. Kyle. Okay. Did anyone else think when this opened the show? Oh my God! They're not gonna open a show by beating Daniel Bryan in the first match. I kind of thought that, which and like so, uh, yeah. And I was like, Oh Jesus, they're gonna lose the crowd already. But I, I, I was like, No, they couldn't. They couldn't. But I was invested in this man mm-hmm. a lot. It was a noticeable improvement over Backlash. They got more time, more heat. I thought it was a borderline four star match. I'll be honest with you, it was an incredible performance by Daniel Bryan. Oh yeah, who is in my opinion, the best all-around performer in the world. Yeah. Take that, seven stars. <laughs> well, we're going to get to that. I got, I got a okay. take on that when we get to that AJ and Nakamura match. Um, But, yeah, thank God the answer was no. Thank God Brian did go over. And I'm not saying that as a Daniel Bryan mark. I just think that, you know, if you're going to put this match first, like they did, you referenced it, crowd was super hot for Brian when he came out, you put the baby face over. And they did. Um, Cass, I'm with Justin, the selling wasn't great, but that's because Cass really isn't that great. Although I will give him a little credit here. He showed he can be carried. And it, I don't think it will take someone, you know, I mean, obviously I just got done saying Brian's best in the world. But I think he can be carried. What you do with him now, though, I don't know. Yeah. Because, I mean, <laughs> it's pretty funny as much as everyone wants to jump on WWE for a lot of its narratives. They told a story here where a little man, quote unquote, beat a big man by tapping him out clean twice in a row on pay-per-view. So, I, you know, I mean, Big Cassie has no aura of invincibility. No. And it's kind of tough to even make him like a bodyguard now, given that happened. 
So I guess it's down to the mid card you go. Yeah, that, that's what I was going to bring up to you guys is where does Big Cass go? Because after two clean losses to Daniel Bryan, uh, this this is obviously over. I, I hope they start transitioning Bryan into the title picture here pretty soon. Um, Brian, obviously no concerns with his health. He was flying all over the ring and the outside of the ring in this match. Uh, not much concern for his head. So I think, I think he's fine. Um, yeah, that was my take too. Tremendous performance, uh, smaller guy against the bigger guy. Brian gets thrown all over the ring, uh, and the outside ends up getting the win with the submission there in the middle of the ring. And, uh, yeah, I thought it was awesome. I thought I told a good story against the bigger guy, and uh, everything made sense. It was believable. Brian's on fire right now. So they did. Uh, they did get the crowd with that near fall when. Uh, what did Cass hit? Cass hit something. I can't even remember what he hit. Now I don't have it in my notes. But like, there was a near fall. The crowd bought. They thought Cass was actually going to win, and they kind of like were freaking out. This, this this was really good. It felt very old school where the crowd was very emotionally invested in the babyface winning. Mm-hmm. Remember that when I completely shit on the same crowd a little bit later on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it started out good, right? Mm-hmm. Um, was it when he, I'm, tr- I'm trying to think, he gave him he gave him like a side slam for a two count. Yep. He gave him an elbow. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It was like a fall away slam or something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so then we moved into... Um, everyone's favorite wrestler in 2018, Bobby Lashley, taking on Sami Zayn. (laughs) Oh, stop. And uh, I covered this match on pop culture. And uh, I did. It was... uh... Now, did WWE cover you on pop culture is my question. (laughs) Hey, 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 you brought it up. I wasn't going to toot my horn too much. I didn't want to sound like Brad Shepard over here, but... uh... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes, my my article uh, from let's see Saturday yesterday I wrote an article on uh, the the WWE's Australia show coming up, which should be the most most attended WWE show in history. Um, they're having that at the Melbourne Cricket Grounds, which can seat over a hundred thousand people. What a promotion! <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, I covered it just like every wrestling site covered it. And when they were talking about the announcement on the pay-per-view tonight during Money in the Bank, they did their usual spiel of going through some of the you know the top media sites and their coverage. And lo and behold, up pops popculture.com in my headline that I wrote. Pretty cool. Pretty cool moment. As you heard it first, the WWE is running Australia, according to Ryan Drossi. Yeah. <laughs> hey, it's pretty cool to see something you wrote pop it up. No, that is my, out of my, hat, my hats off to you. Yeah. My hats off. So that um, going hand in hand with my women's money in the bank prediction, which we'll get to here in a minute. It was a good night. It's a good night in the Drosty household. So uh, <laughs> speaking of a good night, actually, Bobby Try Lashley. <laughs> yeah. I thought Bobby Lashley came off pretty good in this match. Um, hey, there we go. He's been uh, pretty hit or miss since he came back. I think he needs to ditch the headband, man. He needs to ditch that headband. I don't like it. It's bad for his look. There's a point in the match where it like got over his eyes or something, and he couldn't see Sammy, and yet he he kept wearing the headband. I, I don't get it. Why didn't he whip it off? Why? Why keep it on? He couldn't see anything, but he kept it on. It's part of his look, and he ended up dominating i would say like the last two-thirds of the match um getting the win he gave Sami Zayn the delayed vertical suplex i think three times before before getting the victory and i guess the story we've talked about 
uh, in this feud is how Sami Zayn has been super entertaining, taking really bad material and making it funny to watch over the last few years. Or a few years. It seems like a few years, a few weeks. <laughs> what what did you guys think of this match and uh, Sammy's performance selling for, for Lashley? Either of you. I was, I was mostly busy being a dad during this match, which might have been a blessing. Uh, it, being the resident Mark of this podcast, I, I was super bummed seeing Sammy basically get squashed. And uh, also being the resident Mark, I'm going to say... I hate that fucking finisher. I think it's lame as shit. Oh, I think you ought to be a shed. I love it. I absolutely love how I watched the 2018 pay-per-view and a guy won the match with a delayed vertical suplex. <laughs> I can't say enough how much I love that. <laughs> really? And, you don't think it's it's ridiculous to win with a, uh, just a regular suplex? A delayed regular suplex? No, I don't, because I'll tell you why. You know, as much hand-wringing... And, and look, I don't think it's been good personally... But something very interesting has transpired both during that obstacle course segment they did last week and this match. People were cheering for Bobby Lashley. No one talks about that because no one really likes the angle, but he was getting over. There were one more time chance for for this hideous finisher that everyone hates, the delayed vertical suplex. When he hit it the first time, people wanted to see him do it again. It doesn't matter what the move is. It only matters if it's over. And I think the crowd was kind of into it. This meant, I thought it went a little bit longer than it should have, but it was exactly what it should have been, which if you're going to push Bobby Lashley to the top of the card, which we can debate if they should or not, but if that's the goal, then this match was pretty much done how it should have been. You know, and, and I think the bigger story, again, was Lashley not only didn't get booed, the crowd didn't, or, or the crowd didn't turn on him here, but he was actually over. And I think Corey yeah. Graves was very funny on commentary in this match. I, I do agree with Kyle. I, I was I was expecting the crowd to kind of not just shit on this match, but shit on Lashley just because of the build to this match. But uh, they didn't. They seemed to be into it. So uh, bravo, I guess. Yeah, and I, and I agree with what Ryan's. I want. I just want to kind of reiterate with what Ryan said that you know, if you like Sami Zayn, maybe you're disappointed by how this whole thing turned out. But I, to me, I thought he performed. I thought. You know, in terms of the segments, which, you know, on paper were disaster and in practice, quite frankly, weren't a lot better. I thought he performed admirably in this role, which was basically put Bobby Lashley over. Mm -hmm. And I think that might earn him some points with the creative team, to be honest with you, because I don't think those people are sitting back there and being like, yeah, you know, this was one of our better feuds that we've put together. Yeah, no, it was it was well done. I liked the opening of the match where it was just the classic heel babyface yes, dynamic. I where did too. Zayn yes, was just running, was running all over ringside, him. dodging him, trying to get any cheap shot in he could. Um, and Zayn had the advantage early on, but uh, like I said, two thirds of the match, Lashley pretty much dominated. And I don't really disagree with anything Kyle said. He's right; the move was over. The crowd went crazy when he hit those three suplexes, and it worked big time. So it's kind of impressive when he holds the guy up there. Yeah. I mean, it's very old school, but it's kind of impressive. And people, that's, you know, when all these people, there's so much hand-wring, oh, what does the casual fan want? And I don't even know if wrestling can even ever get the quote-unquote casual fan back. But stuff like that, a dude just, like a big dude just holding the guy up there really long, that's what they like. They don't like 30-minute matches. Okay? okay. And, you know, I guess that's kind of my my problem, just being, 
like I said, the mark is this the entire build and how it worked and how the crowd actually reacted to it and that move itself. That's all. All of it is Sammy. I, I mean, like, I don't know what any of that is Bobby Lashley. Well, he's strong enough to do it. I mean, I get you. He, here's where we are with Lashley right now. Okay, now that I've kind of played good cop, let's play bad cop. If Lashley were to be inserted into the universal title picture, which is pretty getting pretty congested right now, obviously, as we'll talk about later, he is nowhere near ready to beat Brock Lesnar. Like, if Lashley were to get a shot against Lesnar... I don't think you could justify putting him over right well, now. Yeah, and and the problem he has is the other guy in line for the title, Braun Strowman, the other big dude, is like immensely more popular than he yes. is and yes. is doing everything it, better. So, And then there's, there's the Roman factor, too, which yeah. we'll talk about a little bit on. So, I mean, I don't know. Lashley's going to probably just feud with someone else, and hopefully it'll be better than this feud was. But I, I don't think this was a disaster. I mean, people on the Twitter... The timeline were saying, "Uh oh, crowd's gonna shit all over Lashley here," and they didn't. No, no, it was well done. It was, it was probably the uh, sh- most well done segment since he returned. I would say. Yeah, I actually would agree with that. Yeah, because everything had been kind of underwhelming. That match he had with um, Braun against Owens and Zayn, I thought was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like the week before Backlash or something, and then they needlessly repeated it at Backlash. But. Um, yeah, this this I think as far as just getting Lashley over, I think was probably the most effective thing they've done. Yeah. All right, so then we moved into the IC title match, which I thought was a tremendous match. Uh, we've talked a lot about him recently. Seth Rollins just on fire. You know, he's he's really the true champion of Raw, and um, yeah, they were cl- I mean, the the crowd was biting on this. They thought Elias might get that IC title victory, but Rollins in the end pulled it out i thought rollins uh selling the leg was really good throughout the match like it almost made you believe it was legitimate that he he had heard it when he came down uh and it buckled a little bit similar to when he heard it a couple years back and uh they, they gave him a lot of time uh probably elias's best match on the main roster easily i would say i can't think of another one that stands out like i got this one. one i got one which one uh he worked uh roman it was late last year when roman was the intercontinental champion I thought that was slightly. I, I actually noted. I, I'm like, this was probably Elias's second best match. Second that I've best, seen okay. Besides, yeah, but I mean, but you know, I mean, it's a six. It's not like I mean, if you if you were to watch that Roman match and say you like this one better, it's not something that I'm gonna like mm-hmm. jump down your throat and say, how oh, can you believe such a thing? So, yeah, no, this is a this is a four star match. If we're gonna get into the in the star ratings, in my opinion, well, that was pretty good. Uh, Justin, what did you think of the match? I. I... My only question was, I, I loved the match, loved it. I, I'm not as big into Elias as everybody else. I, I love Rollins. But my big question was, uh, with the finish, is that Rollins just being a fighting champion and scratching and crawling that was to odd, get a win? Yeah. Or, or is that planting a tiny seed of an eventual heel turn? Well, that would be dumb. I th- you can't turn Seth Rollins heel right now. You're talking about how he used the tights to get the pin. Correct. Yes. Hmm. Yeah, that would be a. I think that would be a massive mistake to turn him heel. Uh, but I see. Where, I see where you could think that for sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah. No. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's it was a heel move. My guess, My thought was afterwards because 
yeah, I thought that. I was like, God, they're not doing a Seth Rollins heel turn. That'd be terrible. Well, um, expe- especially if you think about Dean Ambrose coming back, like within, you know, maybe a month or so, you know, he's going to get a baby face pop when he comes back. Yeah, I, this crowd ain't booing Seth, man. I mean, Seth's about as over as a baby face as anyone in this company right now. To me, I think it was just a deal where they wanted to protect Elias. Um, it may be a this feud may go on situation, whether it's just another TV match or they stretch it out to extreme rules. I think that might be what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To be and, honest and, with you. And, the, and that's why it worked perfectly because, like, you know, those were, I was split down the middle. Like, wait, was that kind of a heel turn or, you know, fighting champion just doing whatever he can to retain against a, you know, a shitty heel? Mm-hmm. It was so great. When they did the finish, and, you know, I'm watching, I'm like, oh, he kind of hooked the tights. I was wondering if like he had just kind of lost his balance and positioned it like kind of like was regathering it by sort of grabbing Elias's shorts. But then when the the announcers clearly mention it, so they're going with that moving forward. And that probably is a reason why you book a rematch, and especially with this angle Corbin thing that they've got going on Raw. I can see absolutely a rematch being coming out of this, you know, where. Corbin kind of demands that Angle make a rematch. Mm-hmm. For the record, since you brought it up, I'm all in on Constable Corbin. Yes, Constable Barry Corbin is tremendous. Yes. <laughs> That's funny because we were talking about wives watching the shows with us earlier, and my wife almost never watches wrestling with me, but she was watching when Baron Corbin came on, and she immediately said, Oh, he finally shaved his head. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, there was a lot of people who were like, Oh, you know, you could have done that in a match. Yeah. Or something. And they're probably right, but whatever. You know, the bottom line is the hair's gone. Um, this got up to a kind of a slow start, which was interesting, but it made the finish better, if that makes sense. Because especially there was that part where uh, Elias kind of blocked Rollins' tope, ran him into the post, threw him in the ring, and hit the elbow. Mm-hmm. That was a oh, great spot. And the crowd yeah. totally bought that as a finish. And I bought it. Yeah. yeah. And the selling of the knee, which Ryan brought up earlier. I think that made you think, you know, that Rollins might lose too. Yeah, when he was dragging himself up to the top rope and letting the one leg, like his left leg, hang there, and he's just going up like one one foot by one foot. That was tremendous. He's oh, gotten a lot really better good. with selling. That, yeah. That's like the difference between Rollins in 2018 and say Rollins in like 2015 to me, because yeah, I've said it before. This is the best run of his WWE career. I, I hope uh, uh, Mr. Colin Cassidy was watching that match. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's funny, Elias, To it's funny you bring up Cass, because Elias, to me, kind of, he probably already had shown this, but he reiterated it, um, that he's a guy who could be carried by, you know, this was not just the Seth Rollins show. To me, I think uh, Elias is a guy who, who's obviously very over, he's, very rare in modern wrestling, a upper mid card act who can remain over without a title. Like I said that before on the show, you know, Meltzer was talking about, oh, if Rollins is going to work Lesnar, he needs to lose the IC title. So Elias should probably win. And I'm like, Elias doesn't need a title, nor should he, you know, I I don't think he should have one. Mm -hmm. And this would have been the wrong time to beat Rollins too. Well, I, I feel pretty confident that Seth is going to hold the IC title now through SummerSlam since he got through this one. And I'm thinking just the whole title picture with that and with the Universal title, 
it's pretty it's pretty intriguing all the different directions they could go uh like justin mentioned a second ago with ambrose coming back pretty soon and he's gonna get cheered when he comes back uh i think he's supposed to be back like around SummerSlam time i think they when he got injured in december they said he'd be out nine months but i wouldn't be surprised if he came back early and maybe in maybe just before SummerSlam. So, I think Ambrose has to turn heel when he comes back. Yes. I was going to say, I, I, I see Ambrose turning on Seth when he comes back. Oh, yeah. he, 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 everyone gets the comeback pop, you know, dating back to Triple H in 2002. Mm-hmm. You know, where, where it's just, you know, Triple H had been a heel and he'd been off TV for a while, but he just got cheered because he returned to TV. I mean, yeah. he hadn't done anything in storyline. He'd done nothing to justify getting cheered. He just, people were happy to see him again. So, he'll get, Ambrose will get cheered initially but i think if he turns on seth it you know yeah i think that was the game. that was always the plan with the the shield reforming was that they were gonna break off and ambrose was gonna turn heel and they were gonna feud so i think they'll go back to that and ambrose just truly is way better as a heel just everything about his persona uh the way he talks his his promos he's totally he's way better as a heel i hate the the goofy baby face character yes. that they had turned him into he just had become such a forgettable character but he's so good as a heel that I'm looking forward to that. So they they could do Ambrose and Rollins over the IC title. Um, you could also insert Rollins into the Universal title picture with Lesnar, but then you got Braun out there with the Money in the Bank briefcase, as we're going to talk about. So I don't really, I don't know which direction they're going to go for SummerSlam. It should be an intriguing two months, just because you have so much talent uh, on Raw in that main event picture and and directions they should go. So. I think we'll, and then of course Roman Reigns is is lurking out there too. So we'll get into that when we when we get to the Roman Reigns match. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I think it should be a, a pretty fun uh, summer in WWE as far as what directions they take. So um, I I'll agree though that it seems like this is headed for a rematch. Yeah, Rollins yeah. and Elias. Which yep. again, I don't think Elias will win. But um, no, that's know. why I said I was pretty pretty confident he'll he'll carry the IC title into SummerSlam. You would think. Yeah, I Which can see I would, I would disagree with Meltzer. Um, if they actually did go to Rollins and Lesnar, I think that match would be Enhanced better. by title versus oh, title. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Title and versus title would be awesome. So, it's real head-scratching not to pile, pile on Meltz, but, you know, he grew, you know, when I was growing up and coming of age and reading The Observer, he, I mean, Meltzer was always such a big NWA guy, and, you know, the U.S. champion always, you know, mm-hmm. got shots at the you know, world champion. I mean, how many times was Lex Luger the U.S. champion against Ric Flair the world champion? Yeah. I mean, I know it's a different promotion and uh, era, you know, gone by, but it can certainly be done. Oh, yeah. I think <laughs> they haven't done anything like that in quite a while. At least I don't I don't remember the last time they did it. The only thing is I don't want Rollins to get a match with Lesnar and lose. No. Oh, yeah. Unless if, unless if, and I'm going to tease this for later, Roman cost Seth the match. That's the only way you can do the match and have Rollins not win the title. Mm-hmm. Is if Rain if a jealous Reigns cost him the match. Yeah. Which would, you know, again, I, I've talked about that many times. I think that's one of the gr- great stories WWE could tell. Call back to WrestleMania 31. Yeah, I kind of I kind of feel like uh, Seth is kind of third in line, maybe for that SummerSlam spot now with Braun going yes. over and with yes, the reports I about Roman. Agree with that. So yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I, I don't. I don't think that match is actually going to take place. Yeah. All right. So let's get into the women's Money in the Bank match. So um, I thought 
It was better than last year's match. I thought it was pretty yes. good. Um, and as I predicted on the show a couple oh, weeks ago, we fucking <laughs> <know>. <laughs> put yourself over, Ryan. That's right. I predicted on the show. I wrote an article on pop culture about it. Alexa Bliss comes out on top, wins the Money in the Bank match, which I think was probably the best person to win the match personally i know we talked about i think a couple weeks back about becky lynch could win and that it would we did (laughs) didn't we talk about becky lynch well we talked about how she wasn't going to win well yeah yeah. but we we talked a lot about how becky lynch has been you know chronically underutilized in wwe that's been a, a theme on the show a lot and yes she could have been helped out by winning it um but when we went through the checklist of who could win uh, I don't know. It, to me, it really came down to Alexa Bliss because she is someone who has been in that title picture for so long. And when you've got Nia and Ronda Rousey feuding over the title, it was kind of hard to imagine her getting back into the title picture without the money in the bank. And I well, I thought they would drag it out a little bit longer than they did. We'll get to that. But she won the money in the bank briefcase, which keeps her a focal point on Raw. And in that women's main event scene otherwise I, I did i just didn't know what they would do with her honestly over the next several months and they obviously think very highly of her they want her in that in that main event scene in the women's you don't roster, say so. yeah so given what happened i mean it's very hard to talk about this without talking about what happened later on so she cashes in and yes we can, yeah, talk, she, we can just combine both matches here she cashes in she becomes the the new women's champion yeah so she's very much the typical money in the bank winner Especially the way things played out. That's yeah, that's exactly what I said. I think two weeks ago is she's like the perfect character to be Money in the Bank. So at the same time, three weeks ago I said, you know, for me personally, that cliche is kind of, I don't know, I don't want to say it's wearing thin, but it's it's just become redundant. That said, I like that they just got out of the way completely mm-hmm. because. Um, when she won, my initial reaction was, first of all, she was the favorite according to the odds that I saw earlier in the day. So I was already busy uh, writing out takes, you know, in, in preparation for a Ryan Drosty pats himself on the back situation here on the podcast. <laughs> yes. um, but so I'm glad that we kind of like to me, because to me, like the week by week thing of, Alexa Cash this week, you know, when will she sneak in? That could have gotten tiresome. So I like how they just went right to it and that it's out of the way now. I, I don't mind it. And it is, um, it, it really does speak to how highly they think of her, man. Because, I mean, basically, since she's been in the main roster, I mean, she beat, she was the second SmackDown Women's Champion. She started getting over, beats Becky Lynch in late, uh, what was that, 2016? Yep. Okay, yeah. I mean, ever since then, she's basically been in the title picture. So mm-hmm. you're right. I mean, your point was well taken that she's never really been outside of a title picture. And this was the way, certainly, to insert her back into it. I do think she is going to be good in the role of chicken shit heel that Ronda can chase. Mm-hmm. And she also has, you know, Nia Jax. That feud's been restarted, which, you know, quite frankly, you know, we were texting during the show. And you mentioned that Naya as champion wasn't really working. I agree with that. Um, I go back to what I said uh, go before WrestleMania in that 
you know, the sooner you had Nia beat Alexa, the worse it was going to be because those rematches weren't going to have a ton of intrigue because no one was going to buy Alexa beating her in a straight up match. Well, they did it this way. And I think now that the feud's reheated, Nia is back after, you know, they they had their toe in the water with her as a heel in the build up to the Ronda match, which we can talk about that match later because I thought that was very good um, and deserves uh, its own separate talk. But Nia can kind of go back to the role that they were crafting for her WrestleMania time as a babyface mm-hmm. who had been turned on by Alexa. What are your thoughts, Justin? I'm kind of confused. Are we are we just talking about the Money in the Bank match right now? Uh, we can go between both of them. I think I think we'll talk about both matches in sequence here, just because they're so related. So, I guess I don't know. To me, in the moment, it felt uninspired to have Alexa Bliss win. It it, it felt like a. Everybody's expecting expecting Natty to win because they seem to be building a storyline there, which now I'm like, well, what what was that about? There doesn't seem to be any meaning to it. And well, she could still just be like the buddy, I guess, and yeah, turn on her as a detour later in the year. Um, I'll save some of my other thoughts when we get to the actual match, but uh, just a trivia corner. Can you guys name the other two people that cashed in same night? Kane was one of them. Yep. Mm-hmm. That was the one I was going to go to. One other. Hmm. I do not recall. Dean Ambrose. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Well, I thought the cash-in was one of the better ones they've had in, in quite some time. Yes. Um, I want, it, I, I'm glad Justin brought up Natty because the story was definitely there for her to win, but then there's the issue of... Do we really want Natty in that position? Look, I know some people think she's this like great hand and loyal soldier. I don't think Natty's very good. I think she's oh, good. You just but... hate Canada. <laughs> I think no, she's very. I, I think, think she's she... very good. She's technically uh, very good, but her uh... character is terrible. I think she has been. I don't know. Demeaned isn't really the right word, but she she's been booked terribly in in WWE. Well, <laughs> farting Natty was not good. <laughs> yeah. That, that, that kind of killed it for she's a never, while. Well, yeah, she's never been booked to be like uh, someone you would take seriously. Uh, she's obviously she, like one of the better ring technicians in the women's division. I don't know about that. Her selling is terrible. Sometimes she always forgets what leg was being worked on. <laughs> always, like watch a Natty match. She always forgets what leg was being worked on. I think, and I, I just don't think she's an upper card performer. You know, like, if they had done the cash-in, you know, as much as they were kind of building to it and people had worked themselves into thinking that, that Natty would win the money in the bank and then, you know, turn on her quote-unquote good friend Ronda. From WWE's perspective, I could see why they want Alexa in that spot instead of Natty. Mm-hmm. Because I think she's just a bigger star. Yeah, well, I was going to get to that. I think if you're if you're looking for the feud for Ronda Rousey, who's going to be the ultimate face character in the women's division, you got to book her against the best heel. And Nia wasn't cutting it. And I think Alexa Bliss is arguably the best heel in the women's division. And I saw some comments on Twitter about, oh, Alexa Bliss wins the title. Nobody's going to believe she has a chance against Ronda Rousey because she's so much smaller and everything. But well, this is professional wrestling. Owens. 
do Goldberg <laughs> Owen. Or I know you guys are going to freaking shit a brick over me referencing that, which, by the way, may have been the last post show we done yeah. uh, when I put everyone in their place. But <laughs> about that, what a, what a wonderful match. It was that show, go, yes. Yeah, I might go home. I might, after this podcast, I might go watch that match again and relive its 90-second greatness. <laughs> uh, that's what you do, right? I mean, yes. It, it, to me, it's Alexa avoiding the match as long as possible, and then she finally has to, you know, get in with Ronda and just gets obliterated. Mm-hmm. Like, to the point, to that point that people on Twitter were making, yeah, I, I think you have Ronda just, you know, just crush her when the match finally happens. But I would hold off on that happening for a while. Well, what I wanted to get into, though, is that <laughs> it's completely ridiculous when we're talking about professional wrestling to be like, oh, nobody will buy her fighting Ronda Rousey. I I don't know. I don't, I don't put too much stock into that because there's all kinds of feuds over the years where you have someone that was like incredibly smaller than their competition and it was still booked like it was a, a serious fight. So it, it doesn't matter like it used to. It's kind of an old school take, quite frankly. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, it's funny, like a buddy of mine, we were talking that like, you know, that now that CM Punk is clearly been established as a terrible MMA fighter. Like, you know, in the days of Bill Watts, CM Punk would have less than zero shot of ever being hired in Mid-South, <laughs> you know, because he's been exposed as not being a tough guy. Well, how how but, much smaller is someone like Shawn Michaels against Kevin Nash, or even Shawn Michaels against Davy Boy Smith? Far smaller, yeah, right? I mean, well, Alexa Bliss true, was a power yeah, lifter. <laughs> that, that's true. I mean, they could bring that up. You're right. Yeah. I mean, they, 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 that is a good point. Um, they could bring that up, but and you know, I mean, it, that was a big discussion at the Mania mixed tag. You know, when Stephanie was kind of, you know, when she was able to kind of fend off the armbar. Mm-hmm. You know, people are like, oh, that's so fucking ridiculous. You know, Ronda Rousey, world class. Well, well, but Stephanie's not even an active wrestler. I think when you're talking about two active wrestlers, it's particularly okay. nonsense. I, I just, I, I, I'm actually agreeing with you. Oh, I, like, I, I know. In, in the world of wrestling, yes, I, I think there's, um, you know, people enter it with a suspension of disbelief. They just don't want their intelligence insulted, and if they're creative, I think they can, they, they can find ways to make that match, you know, enjoyable and deliver. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as you know, the Money in the Bank match itself, uh, this was really good. I thought um, it was a lot of climbing, which sounds like a interesting takeaway uh, to analyze a ladder match. But you know, honestly, that's the way they should be booked. You know, I get that there was a lot of two women are climbing, six are laying around on the outside. Uh, but I like when every when. The, a ladder match is built around just going up the ladder and getting the briefcase. You know, mm-hmm. the, those TLC matches with Edge and Christian and Dudley's and Hardy's, as lauded as they are, there was a lot of stuff in that match where the guys were doing stuff that really didn't make sense. A lot of those big spots. Yeah. Like, you know, like Jeff sacrificing himself, you know, in a non-ladder, in a non-get-the-belt situation. Mm-hmm. You know, really, you shouldn't be doing that. So I, I like this. I saw somebody compare it kind of, to Brett Owen from SummerSlam 94, the cage match, in terms of really just working to the gimmick. And what, if, what I mean by that, and if you haven't seen that match, is I always thought that was the best Blue Bars cage match with the escape rules because they really just, that match was totally built around just escaping the cage. Yeah, and you Owen can diving that, at the corner. Yeah, 
you could argue that that's a shitty way to do a cage match, but Brett and Owen understood the the kind of the rules of what they were doing and worked to it. Whether you liked it or is up to you. But you know, this was very much women are just trying to get up the ladder the whole time. Yeah, and it was good. I, I, maybe this was match of the night. I don't know. There was all the, I, I don't think there was one match on this show that was like the definitive best match of the night. There was a lot of good matches. Ooh, I would disagree on that one. Same, but I oh, I, I do think here we go. It was this was a very good Money in the Bank ladder match. It followed the typical uh, formula where you got eight people competing in a ladder match where everyone kind of collides at the beginning, everyone falls down. You've got your two or three people working the ring and and kind of going in and out. Um, yeah, I didn't have a whole lot of complaints about this. One thing I did notice um, during the match, maybe this is nitpicky, but I thought I think Naomi at one point was using her kicks, oh, and they looked bad. really bad. Yeah, on TV. I, I, I hate that move anyway, but yeah. it, it, it didn't even look like they hit. No, I mean, they it were was bad. terrible. It was really, really bad. Um, but overall, yeah, there, there were some sloppy parts in the match from, from other performers too, but I thought it was pretty good, well done, um, and much better than last year's match, so... Um, that brings I think both us Money to... in the Bank matches were better than last year's. <laughs> Spoiler yes. alert. This brings us to the crowd and Roman Reigns and Jinder Mahal, which was a gigantic cluster. This was really, really bad, guys. This was like WrestleMania's crowd part two. And uh, they, they have to, like we were talking about this in our text, they had to know this going in, that they, they book Roman Reigns against a heel like... Uh, Jinder Mahal that nobody's really invested in, nobody cares about. Certainly the Chicago crowd is not going to care. Um, Jinder got some cheers from them, um, but it pretty quickly turned into the fans taking over the match with all their chants, and nobody cared, and it was just it was just awful. Justin, <laughs> your thoughts? Yeah, the problem is, is the sentiment for a long time was, just turn Roman Reigns heel, but he's already a heel because he's getting booed, but he's not even getting boos anymore. He's just getting apathy. I mean, nobody cares and it's just distracting from the entire match. I couldn't even tell you if it was a good match or not because I I was distracted by the crowd just like I was at WrestleMania. Yep. Now, Kyle, what'd you think? Yeah, it, it, it. I mean, I don't want to sound like a dick, but like you just couldn't enjoy it because the live crowd was going to make sure you didn't. And look, I'm going to just say it. I think the people who organized the guy who organized the chance a fucking tool. <laughs> yeah. Why don't you explain that? Because you you just sent that to me um, towards the end of the show. I actually had not seen that. So I, I'm not going to even give the guy the dignity of like giving his Twitter handle. It's out there. A lot of people have retweeted him. People have different takes on him. I, mean, I just laid out mine. Um, there was some guy who was there live who took it upon himself to have an organized list of chants for the live crowd to chant during that match and actively sabotage it. And the guy really, you know, think thinks he's cool. And, you know, maybe you do, too. If you do, whatever, I guess you're wrong. But um, there were a lot of people on my timeline that were ripping the guy. And I think rightly so. Um, of course, he had some like, you know, something about Moro uh, in his uh handle which tells y'all you need to know about him and his opinion of commentating um 
So yeah, the guy stinks. Mamma mia! I was I was very happy when Mauro Ronaldo was not announcing takeover. Oh my god, I was so happy. I, my buddy, my buddy's like, oh, now you don't have to drive to Chicago. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I know, I'm so happy. So it, all right. It, by the way, how about Roman in the death spot here, uh, following a blow away women's match? A real change from ten years ago, WWE. You know where you have the alleged main event. Uh, male babyface following a blow-away women's match. I mean, different times indeed, but uh, yeah, like you guys touched on, different is not the Roman narrative here. It's it's kind of sad almost. It, we, he's a good worker, and I don't think this was even a bad match. I think Sunil was great in his role with the wheelchair stuff about how he got up. I mean, it was predictable, but I, I enjoyed that. Uh, but with the crowd having every intention of shitting on a match, I mean, it's just, what are we doing? You know? No, I think I think at this point at any big show the crowd's just going to take over the Roman Reigns matches and I I'm kind of dumbfounded. I don't know what they do here. I we knew we were going to get that reaction at WrestleMania and that's why Yeah, I didn't know. I mean, it caught me off guard. Here the key as we had talked about it, I was more concerned because what you said a few moments ago and we talked about this on the show before when you have this dynamic when Roman is working against a traditional heel like gender that the quote unquote smarks aren't invested in the match doesn't work it's apathy like justin said it's not the dueling it's not like the dueling chance of the cena days or or even roman when he was working against like a guy like a, a kevin owens or aj styles early in aj's run where you know you have that segment of the crowd ardently pulling for roman's Opponent that adds to the match, in fact, I think. But this, when it's gender, a guy that they're not emotionally invested in and don't really necessarily care to see when it's just it's bad. It's really bad. Yeah. I'm I'm just I'm just really happy the show did not die a death here. Because mm-hmm. for a while I was thinking, I'm like, God damn it, like this show was doing real well, and this Roman thing happened, uh, and it's over. But WWE needs to know better at the same time. They're, they're not without blame. You can't book this match for Chicago. They, you have to know this is going to happen. The idea, oh, we'll put him in there against a traditional heel in the crowd will really want to see Jinder Mahal get his ass kicked by the avenging Roman Reigns. No, they don't. <laughs> yeah, that was, <laughs> that was a really bad take by WWE if that's what they thought they were going to get. It was, uh, it was a disaster. I think we knew it was going to be a disaster going in. And, uh, like you said with WrestleMania, WrestleMania was kind of like we knew it was going to be bad, but it was worse than we expected. And Roman's definitely been done no favors by the booking committee. And no, I'm putting him in this spot after the hot women's ladder match. Yeah, yeah. That I mean, this was a come down spot. So and they they can't they, honestly think that he's going to main event SummerSlam with with Lesnar at this point, right? That I I think that's why Braun won. I would, I, I would hope that, so. These matches are intertwined. Once again, kind of like with the ladies' matches, is I, I think a lot of people are expecting, you know, like a Miz. You could probably, I don't know, throw in another heel, but I, I think Braun won specifically because of the reactions that Reigns has been getting. I kind of agree with that. I, I read, I read Braun's win too as kind of like a, a shift in booking philosophy. Like when he won, I kind of thought to myself, "All right, they've they've kind of bailed on the Reigns experiment for now." Then they could do Braun 
or uh, pardon me, Brock Roman at SummerSlam. But if they think the reaction is going to be any different than it was at Mania or here, they're dumb. They mean WWE. Yeah, there's. I mean, they can no. do anything. But I mean, if you think that it's going to be some glorious Roman Reigns babyface coronation, I, I, I mean, you're not a smart person. I don't know what else to say. Yeah. All right, let's move on to the women's match, uh, SmackDown Women's Title, Asuka and Carmella, which uh, brought us the return of one James Ellsworth. Jimmy Dream is back. (laughs) And so there have been reports circulating this week that Ellsworth was negotiating with WWE for a return. I think he pulled out of a show or two, uh, Mm -hmm. kind of on short notice. So um, my thought when I heard that was he was either going to get involved in the money in the bank match like last year, or he was going to be the reason that Carmella retained. And in fact, he was the big reason Carmella retained here. So Asuka is not the SmackDown women's champion. What'd you guys think of the match? I guess my biggest problem was it was just one little super kick that took her down. Like they had like two micro distractions after uh, Ellsworth was revealed, and I don't know. I just thought it was weird. Yeah, it was. It was a little bit unbelievable. I should say that Oscar would get that distracted by someone just being dressed up it, like her. It, it went on too long. It yeah. was. It was. It was silly. Time was kind of standing still there, like especially look not everyone does read the internet but certainly a large portion of the live crowd knew who it was going to be i knew who it was going to be i think all three of us knew who it was going to be um if you're going to bring ellsworth back which is tied to if you're going to keep carmella's champion it's a good idea and then this was also a way to beat oscar and protect her although she's certainly cooled off a lot since wrestlemania um that was the way to do it i just think the execution was a little sloppy the match itself wasn't terrible though I think Carmella, who gets criticized a lot for her in-ring, I think character-wise she's got it down. Um, I thought she was pretty good tonight, actually, in the ring. Yeah, no, I would agree. I would agree. Um, And, you know, I I thought Carmella had lost so much steam when she lost Ellsworth, so we'll see how this works moving forward. Um, You know, if you're going to have her as the champion, it makes a lot of sense to bring the guy who brought her a lot of heat initially around this time of year last last year. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Once again, I, I, I agree. It just bothered me that it took like a one armed Charlotte to finish the streak. And, and here we get a, Oh yeah. Yeah. We need it. To, okay. Yeah. You, well, let's and, go and, and, hey, hold on real quick. And for the record, does, can James Ellsworth actually wink or does he just have to close both of his eyes to do that? <laughs> go back and look, go back and look at the video. <laughs> yeah, it was uh I I kind of tend to feel like Asuka has really been devalued over the last few months. Like uh Rousey is kind of like where they want Asuka to be, but I I think that was a it was a bad know, decision. They? Yes, I think the decision to beat Asuka. Yeah. Have Charlotte defeat Asuka. Let me off in that way at Mania is just looking more and more indefensible as we get past it. I almost think WWE is afraid of getting quote-unquote real heat. You know, like, I thought the Ellsworth thing they did was, like, good heat at Money in the Bank last year. And you could make the argument that if they wanted to be where they are right now, 
with Carmella as the champion on SmackDown. Why didn't she cash in and end the streak the night after? Yeah, no, that totally like, should have happened. Like, like you, you know, and it's like, okay, that I mean, it would have been, you know, I, people would have been upset by it, but I think it would have been kind of a good upset. Yeah. The upset that you want when people want Asuka to get revenge. Like, going into this, I didn't really care very much about this match at all. Um, and if Carmella had been the one to end the streak in that way, I certainly would have cared a lot more from the perspective of, okay, you have Asuka going for revenge for that one loss instead of the, oh, I beat Charlotte, who beat Asuka, I'm better than Asuka. Like, that, that just didn't no, really yeah. do it for me. You're exactly right, because then you have the situation where, oh, yeah, Asuka's lost a match, but she was screwed over. Like, she hasn't yes. really lost a match. She was screwed over. Instead... Instead, she loses clean to Charlotte on the biggest show of the year, and it just completely derails her, and she's never really got it back since then. No, she hasn't. I mean, surprise, surprise. I I do think the undefeated streak jumped the shark in the mixed match challenge. You know, there was a lot of, you know, I was looking at the comments during that thing, and a lot of people were like, well, obviously Asuka's going to win this thing because they're not going to have her lose the streak in the mixed match challenge and people were right for thinking that, I mean, she did win. So I, this sounds weird. I actually think Oscar should not have been in the mixed match challenge. I, yeah, I think I kind of thought that at the time too, that it was, it was kind of an odd position for her to be in with the streak and everything. So, cause they made it very clear. If she loses here, that go, the streaks over and you just knew they weren't going to end the streak on a, you know, the Facebook platform. Yeah, no kidding. They were, I mean, yeah, they were going to do it in an impactful way. And I'll be honest with you, you know, there'd be some real heat for Carmella had she, you know, ended the streak in that way with a cash. And I mean, they could have had the Iconics beat up Asuka. Mm-hmm. No, you know, I think instead of, just like they did Charlotte. Yeah, I think I think as as good as Carmella has been kind of coming into her own as a heel on SmackDown, um, the booking itself has been so problematic that. I just feel like the SmackDown women's division's a mess right now. And Raw, even though Nia Jax wasn't clicking, is is like heads and shoulders above the SmackDown women's division right now. It it still feels that Carmella's a kind of a placeholder till we go back to Asuka Charlotte. Mm-hmm. Which is, I think, the long-term direction still. Yeah. Yeah, I would and, agree. And, and, and by the way... Had Charlotte lost the first time around to Asuka? Let's say, like, Asuka, they had had her streak end in the cash-in way against Carmella, like we're talking about. And Asuka then eventually does get revenge. You know, you could have had Charlotte potentially, you know, just demanding that one more, you know, give me another opportunity, please, you know, or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I think there would have been more intrigue had Charlotte lost the first time around. Yeah, no, I would agree. Okay, so we're going to go right into the last man standing match now with Nakamura and Styles. So, Kyle, you had mentioned a second ago that you didn't think there was a standout match for best match of the night. Do you want to you want to take that back at all right now? No. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I think this one well, was no, Hold on. Let's rephrase that. Match. I don't think there was a... I could see people. I'm not saying that this match was bad. I'm just saying that I, if you don't think this match was the best match of the night, which I guess you're going to disagree with me on, I, I'm not going to jump on you for that. 
All right. Well, I thought this was the best match of the night. I thought it was the best match Nakamura and Styles have had in WWE. That I agree with. And and here's where the Johnny New Japans are going to jump on me. I would much rather watch this match again than Omega and Okada from Dominion last weekend. I think this wow. is a match. Really? Really. I That's crazy cuz I don't I wouldn't agree with that. I All right. That, I would. Okay. Here's the better comparison. I would rather rather watch Nakamura Styles from Money in the Bank than Jericho Omega, and I would rather watch Gargano Champa from New Orleans than Okada Omega. <laughs> yeah, we. we I agree to... with what Justin just said. I agree with what Justin just said. For the record. We we did not get to talk about that Dominion match because we didn't have a show last week because I was out of town until right now. And it was a great, great match. Although, of the four Okada Omega matches, I thought it was the fourth best one by a pretty significant margin, actually. I thought the match was just was too long. And that was Justin's first reaction, too, when we were texting about it. Um, it was Reading really, don't get me friend, wrong, it Ryan. was a really good match. What's Reading that? Reading would be your friend. <laughs> It was a really good match. A really, really good match. Both both of these are like all-time classic matches. I'm not saying that Omega and Okada was a bad match. It was a great match. But if I'm going to go back and watch a match a second time... Like my buddy asked me the other night to watch Okada Omega after TakeOver. And I wasn't interested because I've already seen it. And I didn't want to sit through the 70-minute match again. It was just too long. Like they could have cut 20 minutes out of that match, I think, like Justin said. And it could have been just as good. There I've, is a strong groundswell on the twitter.com from some areas depending on who you read as your reviewers that you know a lot of these broadway matches that melts the Meltzers of the world hype they could really stand to have the first 15 20 minutes cut out seriously when the they stick around and they don't do anything way too long way too i long. agree with that yes so <laughs> again these are i think both of them are match of the year contenders but i would i like this match better I thought this was a really, really fantastic match. Oh. I love the last ten minutes of it. I awesome agree with that. Match. Yeah, same. I I love this match because there was I think there's at least five moments where I thought it was over. Yeah, no, I I replied to someone on Twitter tonight. And I said this is the match we've been waiting for ever since they started their feud back in March. So, my my only complaint is that. N- Nakamura didn't go over. Like, I mean, I, at this point, I don't think he, he can get the title. Yeah, no, I, I I agree. I personally would have given Nakamura a run with the title. But uh, we'll I probably would have given go. Nakamura a run and then transition to Brian challenging him personally. <sighs> okay. I, I think the irony of what you just laid out, Ryan, is that this match was also too long. I think the final... 10 minutes were great, but I was not that into it early on. Uh, I'll be honest with you. And maybe it's just because I haven't really been that into the feud. Um, I am interested if, you know, I go back in a couple years and maybe this ages well. I don't know if it was the expectation going in or like, you know, we've talked about it before. When you create a dream match scenario, hard to live up to that sometime. Uh, I do not think this was a top three WWE last man standing match ever. I mean, again, I would love to hear that list, by the way. 
Uh, number one would be Cena Umaga, Royal Rumble 07. Triple H Jericho, fully loaded 2000. And I'll be honest with you, I love John Cena Bray Wyatt from that Battleground show in 2014. I liked all three of those better than this. Well, I'm, I'm going off of the report on PW Torch, and um, Keller has this match at 31 minutes even, so it was half as long as Okada Omega. 30 minutes is still long. Like, I mean, the, the, the Omega Okada was, like, obscenely long. No, wow. yeah. I, I agree that beginning was a little was a little slow, but I, love I thought the, the back half the was balls. so good. Yeah. Yes, I'm just, yeah. the stiff kick to the balls from AJ was absolutely tremendous. Yeah. Um, I, I almost thought that should have been the finish. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> Wade Keller has this match at a three and three quarter stars, which I think is preposterous. I kind of agree with Wade <laughs> Keller, a good personal friend of mine, by the way. A good personal friend of yours. All right. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think that's I, preposterous. I, would agree I don't with see. That, I, I don't see you don't give this star this match four stars at least. Personally, I would agree with three and three quarters. I think I, I could watch it again. I don't. What was interesting to me is I had, I had a thought going. The fact that this went on before the men's money in the bank meant you knew there'd be no cash in with like Miz mm-hmm. or anything like that. Yeah. So I maybe that's why it took me a little bit to get into it because I was kind of processing that in my head. I really wish I didn't wasn't trying to process so many things during these pay per views, but I can't help myself. Um, coming out of it though, I think that I have two takeaways. One, Justin touched on it. What do you do with Nakamura now? I mean, is he just sort of, I hate to use the Brian Elber as, is he just a guy now? Um, you know, I, I don't know what you do with them. I, I really don't want to see these guys have another match at Extreme Rules. I don't. Um, and something else Justin said, though, that I think is interesting, because he's not the only one who feels this way. AJ's had, like, a really long run with this title and isn't being celebrated at all. Like, who would have ever thought that AJ Styles having an eight-month run as WWE champion wouldn't be considered, like, this cool thing. Because I – don't you guys agree? Like, people have just kind of been waiting for him to lose it, I think, to Nakamura. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think, you know, if anything else, a takeaway from this is they like AJ a lot. And, you know, that's not a bad thing. And AJ's – I'm sorry, his work has been far superior in the WWE environment, the Shinsuke Nakamura. Yeah, no, I think I think it's ironic because there's a lot of fans that are always bashing the WWE product, but you've got AJ Styles with this. Like he is the he is the guy that all the smarks love, and he's had the title, like you said, for such a long time. Yet people bash the WWE constantly, so that is kind of ironic. This was probably Nakamura's best main roster match, though. Oh yeah, yeah. I'll say that. Yeah, no, it's. I'd say this is a four and a half star match, personally. I personally, I would say seven and a half stars. <laughs> oh God, that's incredible! You know, it's completely ridiculous to expand your rating scale to seven stars. But can can we? Th- I think this is the appropriate moment for Kyle to give us the take that he gave us on, you know. Uh, m- oh, am I gonna have to? Am I, am I gonna have to go to the phone and, and see what I've written? Sometimes, guys, I'm I'm not sober when I send these things. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember. It, it has to do with uh, Meltzer's takes. Oh, yeah, East yeah, Step. I remember that. Yeah, I remember that. Hold on here. One second here. Okay, that, now I'm... 
Like, I think that's very significant with what's going on with wrestling today. Okay, here's me arguing. Because, okay, for personally, with someone let, let about me t- NAFTA. Hold on, that's I, the wrong. I'm going to set this up. <laughs> I I got out of wrestling for a while, and then I got back into it, mostly WWE. When was and this? For, and, um, seven years ago, eight years ago, something like that. But I got yeah, I'm back. I'm kind of in, the same. I'm the same, actually. I, that, that was around the period where I cooled too. So I get I get back in, and for some reason I find this whole five star thing, and so that's how I I got into New Japan. And and so there's, he has a certain amount of credibility. Whether it's obviously subjective, but why, kind of throw that away in this moment in time for whatever reason I, I i don't understand yeah you're right it ruins your entire 30 plus year history of radio everything on a five uh five star scale okay all right i found i found my takes here so i'm gonna re-give them here i i remember i kind of i when you mentioned the ecw thing i kind of remembered so okay here's the issue with Meltzer and this like insane these this insane stretch of ratings he's been giving to new japan over the last two years He's basically saying that New Japan Pro Wrestling in 2017 and 2018 is definitively the best wrestling that there ever was. And that's just simply not accurate. I'm sorry. It's just not definitively the best. There have been some absolutely incredible matches during that time. But the idea that it is just so definitively better than any other wrestling that has ever existed is just wrong. I mean, so that, that's, you know, forget about, like, his credibility, like, you know, from, or just, like, expanding the rating system. Just the fact that the ratings have just been so inflated for this one promotion in this one period of time. It, I, I just don't see it. I, I'm just not watching the same thing, I guess. Like, I mean, a lot of it's very good. And, you know, the comparison, what you made to the ECW thing is, what's so disappointing about reading Meltzer now is, you know, one thing I loved about reading him, you know, 20, whatever, what, 20 years ago was even more is that he was like the first guy to like pump the brakes on like the hype train for certain things. You know, people who were maybe anti WWE and were looking for something else. He would always be one. And he was right at the time to point out some of the flaws that, you know, the mouth breathers were looking past. And ECW is a perfect example of that. You know, there are people still to this day who, like, think ECW is better than WWF and WCW at the time. And in 1995, that was probably true. But it certainly wasn't starting in the back half of 96 till the time ECW went out of business. I mean, EC, like, ECW, honestly, from the second half of 97 until the time it went out of business, isn't that good. I mean, it had its moments, Heatwave 98 is a good show, but overall, it doesn't, especially in retrospect, it doesn't live up to the hype at all. And, you know, Meltzer, he just seems to be feeding into the hype of this New Japan. He, he, it's almost like he just hates what the WWE is, and he just, as a means, I'll call him out, I guess, as a means to drive up subs, he just wants to promote this New Japan as the greatest thing ever narrative. And it's it's it doesn't make for good reading. 
You know, and then he goes on Twitter and bashes David Bickham. I'm going on a freaking tangent here, and I don't give a damn. <laughs> he goes on Twitter and he bashes David Bixenspan for reporting on the Chris Amon situation, how he was dating Jillian Hall as the WB doctor. He's like, oh, that's a real non-story to me. Well, it was fucking more interesting than anything that's been in your newsletter in six weeks, asshole. <laughs> I don't see how that's a non-story. That's definitely a, that's a good story. Yeah. I, I mean, okay, maybe it's not earth shattering, but it, it, at least it was something interesting. I didn't know it. Yeah. Somebody uncovered it. It's better than some fucking love letter to Kenny Omega that I had to sit through. <laughs> so to bring this full circle, then, because I, I brought, way, yeah, and, I, I, just one more point, and then I'll let you guys go. I, I just got one more because the, the second half of the point that maybe Justin wanted me to reference was, you know, he, he's back to the whole oh, New Japan 2017 2018 is the greatest thing ever. You know, it's funny to read his coverage of New Japan the last two years and compare it to all Japan from the mid-90s, which um, when you look and go back, if you want to look at his star ratings, he gave you know a ton of high rating. There, there was no promotion in history up until New Japan now that he gave a higher concentration of high ratings to than you know the King's Road period of all Japan. But when you look at the coverage of the two in the observer you know there was no love letters being penned to misawa or kawada to open the newsletter and i know i realize part of that is it's much easier in a to consume new japan immediately than it was all japan in the 90s i mean like i didn't see a lot of those great matches till you know years after they happened in some cases but for the record I don't think modern New Japan is definitively better than mid-90s All Japan. As a matter of fact, it might actually not be better, truthfully. So I just, I don't know. This guy is just driving up subs. Just, you know, it doesn't matter. If he thinks something's the best ever, God bless him. But, you know, other than someone else who shall remain nameless, I don't know if there's been anyone who's ever made me want to watch New Japan less than Dave Meltzer right now, which is a shame. I'm done. All right. So to bring this full circle, then speaking of wanting to watch New Japan, I I started this segment saying I would rather watch Nakamura and Styles this match here a second time than sit through the 70 minute Omega Okada match. So would either of you, if you now that you've both seen both of these matches, would either of you on a second viewing rather watch the Omega Okada match than this Last Man Standing match? I, I'm gonna. So, mm, Okada Omega was better in a whole. But I I love Kyle's idea of, and this is probably just through text messaging. So I'm I'm gonna tell our listeners. Any match that goes over an hour, that's too much. That that's too much of a match. You have to be in a mood to watch something like that. Yes. I mean, I kind of have to be in a mood to watch Japanese wrestling. Period. Um, but yeah, I, to, to answer your, I don't know if I'm in a rush. Even though I liked both matches a lot, I don't know if I'm in a rush to go watch either of them again. Well, no, it, honest. And that's why I bring up like Gorgano and Champa. I, I I think that is far superior to the most recent Omega Okada. Yeah, and this time, yeah, I mean, the, yeah, I mean, I would absolutely rather watch either New Orleans or Saturday Night more than either of those two. Okay, I would agree with that too. 
my my point in posing that question though was that I didn't think either of you would say you'd rather watch the Omega Okada match a second time versus this one if you had to choose. And to me, I don't know how you rank a match as being better if you'd rather watch the other one on a second viewing. Because even if it is 30 minutes That's longer, even if it's 30 minutes longer, it's, it's 30 minutes. If you'd rather watch the other one more, I don't know how you rank it better. So That's a very interesting point with star ratings, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that's kind of how I look at it. Maybe it's because when I was a kid, I, I liked to watch matches over and over and over again. And when mm-hmm. I when I saw Omega Okada, which, again, I'm not trying to bash. I'm just comparing the two because they both happen a week apart. I liked the match. I thought it was one of the best matches of the year, but I don't need to watch it again. And of their four matches, I've been pretty vocal on Twitter about it. I think it was the fourth best one of their matches i honestly thought their g1 match last year was the best match of the series and it's and also guess the shortest what? match <laughs> yes 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 yeah so it doesn't that's that's also one of my problems with new japan is i i feel like they go out there just saying all right we have to go an hour we have to go really long and you don't always have to go that long to have a really and, good match and the hypocrisy of the evaluation is the same people who will tout that in the length of the new japan matches will like you have to sit through on Sunday, you know, they pop into your mentions all the time, lamenting the length of a WWE pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, that's, that's ironic. That's exactly right. So, like, I, th- I feel like matches get overrated just because they're long versus yes. the quality. I, I, so many matches could get, like, if you go and look, like, so many of the long matches throughout history could absolutely stand to lose 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. I, I really don't think matches should go longer than 35 minutes. No, I was just thinking that. I was going to say, if you can't, like, every match should be able to be done in, like, 30 to 40 minutes tops. So, and, and it, you know, this long thing of, what does the casual fan want to go back to that tired viewpoint? You know what they don't want? A 70-minute match. Ma- yeah, yeah, a 70-minute <laughs> match. If you fucking think, you know, like, you know, you're going to bring in the casual eyes with 70-minute matches, man, you don't know people. It's time to maybe go outside a little bit. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree. I, I think it's an interesting discussion. I knew like right after the match because I really loved the last 10 to 15 minutes of it tonight that I, I wanted to bring in the comparison. Thought it'd make a good conversation. So It was. Good Who's AJ's next points. contender, by the way? That's an interesting thing. I almost feel like they got to pivot to uh, to Brian soon, although they're not going to do it at Extreme Rules. So Brian, AJ at SummerSlam, I guess. What do you guys think? I'm totally with Braun Strowman winning. I'm totally lost on SmackDown because they had it set up where, you know, Nakamura wins and then you had, you know, Miz, Brian sitting right there. Yeah. So I guess maybe Miz goes into a program with, I, I don't know. I, yeah. You know, you know what? And maybe that that's the success of this show tonight is I have no fucking idea where they go. <laughs> you know, some people are throwing out like Samoa Joe as a possible option. I just don't think anyone buys Samoa Joe as winning. Um, I, we all know Daniel Bryan Miz is the long term destination or should be for this for the WWE title. It's just how they get there, because we know now it's not going to be Miz screwing Daniel Bryan. Right. Or screwing AJ Styles. I mean, it's not going to be a Miz Cashin. I think we all kind of assumed for a while, well, okay, the Miz Cashin is pretty logical. Um, whether he does it, you know, it, it, whether he did it tonight and it came out in the last man standing match or 
They they had Daniel Bryan challenge the winner of this. Bryan wins. Miz cashes in there. You know, we knew, that's not going to happen. That's not the scenario. So it's it's pretty interesting, I mm-hmm. guess, what it's going to be. I, I do think it's going to be tough not to do AJ versus Daniel Bryan um, to, to not have that done before SummerSlam. I, I really do think that'll be difficult to do. So here's what it comes down to is, from what I've read, it is not a given that Daniel Bryan re-signs with the oh, WWE. I think he's re-signing. It, but if if it is not a given, we will be getting Ms. Bryan at SummerSlam. Well, we had a pretty good discussion on that on episode 60. Check that out in the archives. I, I don't think they would have him beat Big Cast clean twice like that if they didn't, they didn't have the inclination he's coming back. And I think he is coming back. I think he's staying. But you're right. I mean, they're not going to put the world. They're not going to put the title on him until that's a done deal. Yeah, it's not a done deal officially. So, all right. So we got two matches left, and we're already running pretty long. But this has been a good discussion. Um, we, Great we, show. Seven yeah. star show. Seven, seven and a half well, star. Show. Wrestling matches shouldn't go longer than thirty five minutes, but podcasts must go at least an hour. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Uh, we we already kind of talked about the Raw title match, the women's title match, because we were talking about the cash-in. Uh, but it does have to be said that Ronda Rousey, in, in only her second uh, major match with WWE, she's worked some live events. First singles, too. Yeah, first singles match on television here. And actually, was that her first singles match total? Was she working all tags in Europe? I think she did, because she was. Spo- I heard. I thought she was supposed to work Mickey James, but I don't think that happened. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. So, first singles match, man, this is a, has been quite a good transition for the former MMA star to yeah. WWE. I thought she performed extraordinarily well at Money in the Bank. I don't know what you guys thought, Kyle. Yes. What do you think, Justin? See, no, I was just gonna say same. I, I, I was, I was concerned. It had a big match feel. And I was concerned for her well-being the entire time. So I thought they did terrific. Yeah. One thing I did want to say, I just thought of watching the match, is for anyone that doubts like how good a shape these professional wrestlers are in, Ronda was mighty sweaty in this match. <laughs> like she, she worked hard in the match. And I thought like in, in comparison to other wrestlers, she was actually a lot sweatier. So shows like you have to be in really good shape to be a professional wrestler. Yes, sweat check. You have to be in very, very good shape. And uh, obviously, again, this was her first singles match, but uh, she was working hard out there. She didn't let it affect her. She did a a really, really good job. She was great. She was really great at Money in the Bank. But uh, I did think like some of the other top women stars, they don't look that tired. So she's still she's still breaking in as a pro wrestler. Don't get me wrong, but. I think it's it's just proof positive right there of of what a difficult job it is to be a professional wrestler. Yeah, but but at this stage of the game, it's pretty amazing um, where Ronda Rousey is. Uh, she's very good oh, at yeah. pro wrestling. She and you know having only done two major matches, you know we know there's bigger ones to come. Uh, you know th- this was a great great signing, obviously in the world's most obvious point. Yeah. Um, I also thought this was the best Nia Jax match I've ever seen. Not a lot of competition there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not a long list. I think yeah. uh, those of us who lived through the 90s and you know grew up on comp tapes, I don't think uh, you're jamming eight hours of, of Nia Jax on your VHS, but whatever. 
Uh, no, yeah. I was trying to pro- – so I, this did have the big match feel, like Justin said. Were you guys taken aback initially that it didn't go on last? I was expecting this to close the show. I wasn't. I, I, realized, I was not expecting it to, but when we got the finish, then I thought it should have. Yeah. Yeah, I can see why. Now that the show's over, why they laid it out? I guess like that. You know, the old Vince McMahon send the crowd home happy with a baby face. Um, you know, still persists to this day. Uh, but um, you know, going in, I thought this match it, it could be anything. It could it could go. It could be great. It could be a disaster. But the bottom line, I was invested, and um, the bliss cash in worked again. Like how they just got it out of the way. Um, it was over. Um, you know, she now has two baby face uh, challengers who, you know, in storyline have every right to be pissed at her. So that's good. But, you know, while there's some confusion on the SmackDown side, there's no confusion here. Jax is clearly going to go back to being a baby face. She was uh, coming out of mania. And, um, you know, the only other thing I have to say about this is Jonathan Coachman just absolutely fucking sucks on commentary. <laughs> He was awful. The way he killed that. God bless Corey Graves and Michael Cole for just jump when Coach tried killing the bear hug. Did, did you guys catch that? Like, Coach yeah, uh, was okay, like, so- Rhonda's just where she wants to be right now. And Graves is like, she's in a fucking bear hug. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, my, my special mutant power is that I never even pay attention to commentary ever God, i'm just i'm just that. i'm kind of just in my own head but for some reason I, I caught the whole bear hug thing i was like wait why is he defending it just didn't make any sense like what where's the storytelling in that i i have like the opposite power justin in that like because i have like a lot of buddies who are like oh yeah i didn't even notice the commentary they say this for like not just wrestling but for like sports and stuff because like you know you guys know you've Facebook, like I just go off about Jeff Van Gundy like constantly in the NBA. I, I like the opposite. Like I like I hear like the commentary. I just feel like they're sitting next to me, and like you know I, I hear everything they say, and it's just I don't know. It's just Coachman the, is really bad, but he was like a all time atrocious during this match. No, yeah, he was. And then he was immediately on Twitter like defending himself afterwards. Oh, those, Oh, the, the the people who were just desperate for a retweet from Jonathan Coachman were like, oh. I love when Jonathan Coachman puts the marks in their place. Those people should have their fingers removed and lose the ability to type. Yeah. <laughs> his, his username is truly the coach rules. I mean, my God. There's no Z in there, is there? No, no. I don't think okay, so. thank God. I mean, that, that would actually find a way to make himself <laughs> worse. If there no, was it was it was terrible. And he always he always whenever he's getting criticized on Twitter, he always goes to the thing about, well, I've been in the business, so you you do not have the right to comment on it, kind of thing. And it's so stupid when you think about it, because here's a guy who was working at ESPN for all those years, commenting on the NBA and the NFL and the MLB. Well, Jonathan Coachman never freaking played in any of those leagues so then why is he qualified to comment on professional oh. sports oh <laughs> and by the way he sucked on sports center too but no but seriously you know what i'm saying like no he, that's a great point that's he a criticizes great point. fans all the time like oh you haven't been to the business you have no right to you know judge me on this but you're commenting on professional sports and you weren't in that's just a terrible take on the part of jonathan coachman and uh yeah i agree with everything you guys said it was, <laughs> it, was it was pretty bad but 
So did you guys see they they did put we should mention this. Um, it's interesting they didn't put this on the live pay-per-view, but on dot com they did an interview with Alexa Bliss where she said, Oh, I have some unfinished business and I think I know what I'm gonna do. So they really teased this potential cash in on that. I saw that and part of me was waiting for Alexa Bliss to come down. I did this. not see that. No. Okay. Yeah, I thought one other thing I want to say about this match before we move on to the men's match is that someone on Twitter had commented um, how Nia Jax, speaking of Nia Jax's abilities here, was in such a high-pressure situation because she's out there with Ronda Rousey and you don't know what you're going to get. She's never been in a singles match and she might have to carry her. And they put together a really good match. And again, Rousey is kind of in that situation where we talk about the men that have come from like the real athletic background, whether it's Kurt Angle or Matt Riddle that have really warmed to professional wrestling very quickly. And Ronda Rousey's right there in that same category, in my opinion. So I mean, given the the high the situation she's been put in, no one has been like I shouldn't say no one, because I mean I could invoke some old school stuff. I mean, as far as celebrity, like Mr. T was like part of the most probably important match in the history of a promotion. Mm-hmm. But he wasn't expected to carry it though. He he was just basically like, "Hey, here's a celebrity in a pro wrestling match. Just like, don't be hideous, you know." Yeah, I mean, Ronda Rousey is being expected to do a lot more than like Mr. T was or like Lawrence Taylor in WrestleMania 11. Oh Surf. yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, it's gonna be. A, it's I think it's a good career choice for her. She's yeah. very although it's much not excelling. a fair. Although that's not to, to back up. That's not a fair comparison because Ronda is doing this full time whereas those c- celebrities were just doing one offs basically mm-hmm. yeah all right so let's wrap this thing up because it's getting pretty late out here in the central and eastern time zones uh the men's ladder match closed the show the money in the bank we've already mentioned braun Strowman walked away with the briefcase uh tremendous match i thought kofi kingston got the nod uh, from the new day, I loved what they did towards the beginning, where like everyone ganged up on Braun and covered him in ladders. A lot of good high spots in the match. Particularly, what stands out is the uh, coup de grace from Finn Balor off the gigantic ladder into the ring. And Owens bump, yeah, which was like an the insane bump. bump. Yeah, which sadly, like, like that was ridiculous. And I, I fear that like in two weeks, no one's going to even be talking about that. No, that was I mean, a, like, that was a crazy bump too. Both are both are awesome. Personally, I I thought the Balor one was more insane because I think Owens clearly had a crash pad there, whereas Balor is coming down on Bobby Roode's chest. Yeah, and he could. I mean, you could fuck your knee. I mean, that coup de gras. I mean, even just doing it normally could fuck your knees up. Yeah, yeah. Both are awesome though. Yeah, those are those are the two spots that really stand out for sure. Um, Justin, what do you think of this match? It, Kyle, I, I I love you, and and I love your takes, but this match was proof positive as to why Money in the Bank is a thing and needs to stick around. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree <laughs> with that. I I just try to give people food for thought. I wasn't saying you know it was it was it should go away. I just you know I, it's not the matches that I have the issue with. I think it's just the formulaic heel cash in year over year that sometimes can be tiresome and doesn't doesn't necessarily always elevate the performer in the way it was intended to mm-hmm. totally. and that's my issue with it the, not not they the did, themselves they did a great job telling a story this year 
And uh, especially after seeing the, I think we already kind of covered this, but watching the Roman Reigns match earlier and expecting SummerSlam to be Reigns and Lesnar and getting a, 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 a apocalypse now redo of that main event. Hopefully we get Braun Strowman, Lesnar at SummerSlam. Yeah, and, and to Kyle's point, too, what he said in our text tonight, you do need uh, Braun to come out and just blatantly challenge Braun and run him down on the microphone. Kyle, would you like to share what you said with our listeners in our in our text thread? What, what did you think Braun Strowman should do? Oh, call up that pussy Brock Lesnar? <laughs> exactly. I, and use his word. So, okay, uh, here are my notes. When this went on last, I think I, as soon as this went on, I, I texted you guys, I don't think Miz is winning anymore. It's going to be a baby face in bronze winning. And Justin said they told a good story for this Money in the Bank match compared to past ones. I agree with that. You know, they very much, with Owens kind of trying to rally everyone to join up, you know, kind of really putting over what a threat Strowman was. They did not all join up, and Strowman won. So that's actually good booking. Uh, Braun was, in terms of, you know, closing the show with a babyface winner after the Alexa cash-in, I think Braun was a pretty obvious call. Um, per our discussion a few weeks ago that Justin referenced, I I like where we're at actually now with the briefcase situation. The he, the token heel cash-in's already taken place out of the way, and we now have a babyface Money in the Bank holder, which doesn't happen often, uh, who's basically going to be demanding a shot at an absentee champion. And... You know, does Brock not being there every week actually enhance this maybe? Because you're going to, I mean, Braun could just come out and start Raw and basically be like, you know, on Monday night, be like, I want Brock Lesnar right now, world title match, and Brock's not there. And I think that could kind of work. Well, that's what's kind of funny about the whole thing is that, and it's been kind of funny for the past year is that, Braun has become what they've been trying to get Roman to be. And, and they've finally just been like, oh, well, let's just go with Braun. <laughs> well, we already have that. Yeah. No, agreed. Yeah, he's the universally loved baby face that they wish Roman was. So I'm glad you referenced that because this is the big question that I have coming out of this show. Can we envision a situation now where Braun Strowman challenges Brock Lesnar? Let's say it's SummerSlam. And a jilted Roman Reigns who thinks he's the uncrowned champion of the world costs Braun Strowman the match and goes heel. I I would cream my pants for that, but I, I don't see it happening. <laughs> yeah, okay. I, 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 that would require Brock sticking around longer, obviously. And we don't know what that situation is. You know, there's been some, you know, hand wringing over, you know, when's his next match going to be? You would have to imagine it's going to be SummerSlam, even though there's been some reporting that he's not even on the books yet. So that's interesting. Because if if you do pivot to Braun, you have to do something with Roman. I mean, what are you going to do? Just like keep Roman the exact same? I mean, that would be odd. You know, yeah. I to me, I think that's a story that mm-hmm. Braun now has the reason to leapfrog Roman, and Roman is jilted, 
and costs Braun the match. Because, you know, we've talked about this before. Braun as champion, as a champion, is kind of an odd dynamic. Yeah. And, you know, and if you, and if it, this whole thing can be used as a means to get Roman on that heel side, you know, maybe all is right with the world, except for the fact that you'd still have Brock Lesnar as the universal champion, I guess. Yeah, and that's a big negative. <laughs> they they got to get that belt off of him. Well, there's always Bobby Lashley in his headband. <laughs> to bring this full circle, there we go. Well, it was a great show. I liked it. Like we said, it's it's one of the best WWE pay-per-views in many, many months. If you haven't seen it... I was going to say, and enough about this podcast, but oh, <laughs> you were talking about Money in the Bank. My bad. <laughs> Definitely check it out. Um, I... We don't have a whole lot of time left because we're running really late. And I know you guys want to get to bed, um, or at least Justin wants to get to bed. Kyle, you said you're going to be up kind of late tonight. Um, for our listeners... I am are, high on cocaine after all. <laughs> for our <laughs> listeners who are probably um, listening to this on Monday morning at work or on their drive to work, I did briefly want to touch on TakeOver. We can keep this short. Um, for you guys... I have a feeling I'm going to split with both of you on this one, too, because TakeOver was a really, really great show also. Uh, but for me, the match of the night was not Gargano Champa, But I actually like Dream versus Ricochet a little bit more. Where are you guys at oh. for match of the night on TakeOver? I, I didn't get to watch it. I was at a family reunion. That's right. You sent us some video clips. <laughs> what do you think, Kyle? Oh. Uh, I do not agree with what you said. You do not agree. Okay. No. Um, I, that doesn't mean that I think, you know, you're out to launch or um, that I don't think Ricochet Dream was really good because I do think it was really good. Um, I, I just, you know. Uh, and, and by the way, for the record, there are issues with Gargano and Ciampa, believe it or not, in the sense that, you know, that first match just came across as such a blow off. It is a kudos, kudos to the individual performers that they were able to get the audience invested in doing a rematch mm-hmm. after New Orleans, which, you know, when it was over, just came across as like such the ultimate blow off. And it, it turned out not to be. Um, but, you know, Justin said this on the show a couple of weeks ago when we kind of were talking about that dynamic of having Gargano was the most over babyface in the promotion, but having a different babyface as the champion, that being Aleister Black. Um, I do think now what we're headed for is Tomasa Ciampa beating Aleister Black in Brooklyn. Um, maybe EC3 can be the diversion uh, for Gargano. You know, they kind of teased something on TV briefly a few weeks ago. I actually thought EC3 was going to get involved Saturday night. Um, but then, because to me, the, the big money with NXT is Johnny chasing and winning the title. And I think him beating Ciampa in a rubber match, whether that would be you know, Survivor Series weekend, or if they drag it all the way out to Mania, um, I, I think that's the end game here. Yeah. Can I can I go ahead and give that eight stars now, or <laughs> should I wait? You could. You might as well. I, I thought Takeover was outside. Like it sucks that like for me watching it, like um, you just knew it wasn't going to be as good as New Orleans. So like it kind of was like as great as it was like to me, it was like, you know, the fact that it was a step down, you know, that's um, kind of that's kind of why I like Dream Ricochet better. That's what that's what I was going to get at. I liked both matches a lot. Again, just like Omega Okada versus Styles Nakamura. But 
Dream Ricochet was just a little bit more fresh, and I kind of felt like I had seen it before with Gargano and, and Champa, but I just feel like it has it needs to be a title match, and I felt like we'd kind of been there before, and like we talked about on the show a week and a half ago or whenever that was, the Aleister Black title reign has just been very underwhelming. <laughs> this this should be the title match. Uh, I thought I thought it was creative. I I actually really liked the finish and how Champa got the win uh, with yes, w- with the so boards I. exposed in the ring. That was really cool. I liked it a lot. Um, but Dream Ricochet, I would if I was giving them the so called star ratings, I'd have them super close, like within a quarter of a star. But I'd just give the slight nod to Dream Ricochet just because it was a little more fresh, in, in my opinion. But both great great matches. See, I'm really, I'm really interested to see where they go with Dream now that he lost. Um, you know, obviously there's been a lot of internal debate in WWE: do we call this guy up now or continue to have him get seasoned a little bit more? Because he, sh- I mean, I was going to say we should mention that he was that he was dressed up like Hulk Hogan, which maybe that speaks volumes for where the company's at with Hulk Hogan. I, they, I agree that that means something. Don't think that that doesn't mean something that they let him do that because it was very obvious. I mean, he was doing the T-shirt tear. He was doing the hand of the ears. I mean, you know what that was And this? This goes kind of deep. That was dream trying to get into the head of Ricochet because Ricochet, if you follow him on like Instagram, is a huge rock fan. And what they did at the beginning of the match yes, they did was the Hogan Rock X8. It was exactly from WrestleMania X8. They they faced off in the ring, and each guy like slowly looked side to side. It was exactly what Hogan and Rock did at WrestleMania X8. It was the same thing. I I have the biggest wrestling boner that I, I can't wait to watch this match now. Just yeah. hearing you guys talk about it. A- Andy had the Prince Puma tights on too. Yeah, <laughs> dream. I mean, that, that was a curveball. Another guy that we need to mention because it's so easy to overlook him uh, is Oni Lurkin, I think, is an absolutely tremendous professional wrestler, even though he will never be a champion in WWE. Probably <laughs> he will probably never get a push. Um, you no, know, that's a really good been, opener. Yeah, this guy would have been a center stage god in WCW like 89 and 91. Oh, yes. yes. I, I think, like, I, like they would have just loved him in there. And, and he probably wouldn't, truthfully, wouldn't have been a major push guy there either. But, um, God, this guy is a guy who you may not care about going in, but his work gets you caring about after the match. And, and it's a testament to him and Danny Birch that they, you know, were able to get that standing O because it was a very pro undisputed crowd uh, in Chicago Saturday night. I, I like him better as Tommaso Ciampa, but oh, come on, <laughs> they're the same guy. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a great it was a great opening match, uh, undisputed era over like crazy. Uh, I thought the women's match was really good too. Nikki Cross is really really good in that role. Yes, she did because with Baszler, they ran the risk, quote unquote, of an Oscar situation where you have an audience. No one where they that just doesn't believe anyone can beat the dominant heel champion. Mm-hmm. Um, and Nikki Cross got you know, I don't know how much they believe, but they wanted to believe, which is just as important, really. Um, and, and the finish was good. I Nikki Cross and Lars Sullivan to me, um, are the two people most likely to go to the main roster next, I think, because I just don't think there's anything really for them to you know, once you lose a title match in NXT, you know. What do you do from there? Yeah, so that's true. I, I, I see those two 
and maybe Velveteen Dream. I don't know. It's it's depending what they want to do with him as the most likely to go up next. All right. Well, with that, everyone, that I think is our, we're going to wrap up our NXT TakeOver slash WWE Money in the Bank post-show. Thanks for joining us. I know we went a little longer than usual, but really good show this this weekend. Two shows this weekend. Lots to talk about. So thanks for tuning in. We will be back at the end of this week for our typical Thursday night slash available for you Friday morning show. Um, so check us out then. Until then, we'll be on Twitter at Top Rope Nation. Uh, we are also on Instagram at Top Rope Nation. And of course, Check out the archives on iTunes, toprobnation.com, and wherever podcasts are found. We'll catch you guys later this week. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.